Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode number 58 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Alex Berman of Experiment 27, who shares eight strategies to grow your agency. Alex was the director of marketing at the 60-person design development studio Dom & Tom. While he was in that role, he developed, tested, and refined strategies that ultimately led to $2.5 million in closed business for the agency. That's not $2.5 million of pipeline or some other vague metric. That's $2.5 million in the bank. Alex is a real deal, and today he's here to share exactly how he did that and how he helps other agencies achieve similar results. Originally, I came to this interview with a list of questions for Alex that were covering a few different areas of his business, his expertise, all of that. But he went so deep on each of these eight strategies that there wasn't time for anything else. And honestly, I'm glad it worked out that way because this turned into one of the most actionable episodes that I've done. We talked about strategies ranging from cold calling to podcasting to in-person events. And best of all, these aren't things Alex thinks work. They're strategies he knows can produce results because he actually used them himself and he continues to use them with clients to get more leads for their agencies month after month. This episode is not just for new agency owners. This is for absolutely everybody because no matter how sophisticated your agency's new business efforts are, I guarantee you will learn something from Alex today that will help you get more clients. So without further ado, here's Alex. Alex, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Andy. So at Experiment 27, you help get more leads for digital agencies. How do you do that? Well, there are actually eight channels, which we can cover in more detail in a while. But basically, um, we come in and we act as their outsourced chief marketing officer. So a lot of digital agencies, probably a lot of your listeners, um, as they're growing, uh, a lot of agencies can grow to really big sizes on just referrals. So I'm talking up to $20 million in revenue just on referrals alone. Uh, what we do is, um, well, the, when that happens, though, a lot of the times they'll forget about marketing or marketing will just go to the side. So we come in and we are the outsourced chief marketing officer, meaning we allow agency founders to spend less than an hour a week, uh, sometimes even less on marketing. And then our team handles everything from you know outreach to uh, directory management, meetups, podcasts, pay-per-click, uh, social media promotion, literally everything they need to, uh, to grow the agency. And we do it um, with a strong ROI focus. So our goal is always to get a 10x return on any marketing spend. Interesting. And I, we'll, we'll get into the specifics later, but because I know you mentioned the eight channels, and it's not something that the agency owner has to come to you and basically tell you they want this, this, and that. As an outsourced CMO, you're going to make all those decisions for them, right? You'll work with them, but you're going to handle the nitty-gritty details. Is that right? Yeah, and I found actually a lot of what agencies think works um, has, has not been proven to work, um, at least in my experience. Uh, a little bit about my background. I was director of marketing at an agency called Dom and & Tom, um, and we grew them. Me and, and the X27 team grew them from first it was 14 leads a month to 40 leads a month within 30 days. And then we took them to over 150 leads a month. I mean, this was a 50-person agency, another an 80-person agency. Um, and yeah, Tom said we added over a million dollars in closed business the first year. And then in the second year, business. we're over $2.5 million. Yeah, that's literal money in their pocket. That's not BS. Right, because a lot of times you'll hear about like pipeline value add and all these kind of 
vague numbers that don't actually translate to real dollars. But so in close business, so much I can't tell you. I can't tell you how much I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so, so let's go deeper into that because you before we got on the call via email, you were talking about how. In your mind, a lot of the success for agencies comes from executing the basics like SEO, PPC, cold email. But a lot of the assumptions that many agency owners have when they approach those channels are wrong. So where are they going wrong with those channels? Sure. So the eight channels that we found worked that we found work are one is enterprise outreach, so cold emails and cold calls directly to clients. Uh, second one is agency partnerships, so reaching out to other agencies to both pass off your work and then get more work from them. Uh, directories, meetups and events, podcasts, pay-per-click slash retargeting, content and social, and then promotion and PR. So for enterprise outreach, the main thing people get wrong is uh, they approach enterprise outreach the same they, as they would an inbound lead. So they approach as um, like, hey, you know, we're XYZ agency. We do uh, iOS development and Android development. Where we found, especially for going after the Fortune 500, um, we just did a cold calling experiment and booked six meetings in six days with uh, Fortune 500 companies. And the thing that worked there is um, coming with an actual idea. So looking through the, each company's goals for 2017 um, and actually guessing on an idea. So for instance, Coca-Cola recently published this article where they were talking about how they're trying to motivate their employees more. So one of the ideas that we would have pitched there uh, would be something about, you know, so, something related to employee perks or maybe a, a, an idea board for employees. So that's, that's where people get most enterprise outreach wrong. Um, you got to approach it as as like a consultant. And so uh, you're not you're not basically sending out thousands of template based cold emails. I'm sure you have a general template you use, but you're really customizing it to the specific leads and to their needs. For enterprise outreach, yes. For the next thing, there's there is a template which we can talk about in a second. But for enterprise outreach, yeah, the customization is what's going to set you apart from all the other agencies um, because the the problem that I found with agency outreach is there's a lot of companies that do really bad cold emails and it turns off these uh it turns off most of these decision makers for me than opening cold emails so if you if you don't focus on actually customizing it and looking into their goals um they're not even going to respond uh, i've also found that email is so blocked for enterprise outreach that without a cold calling component um you'll you'll almost always book zero meetings uh, so cold calling is really important when it comes to the first channel, which is enterprise outreach. Interesting. Uh, let's jump to the next channel. I'll might circle back with a few questions on that one later. Sure. Yeah, this is about to get super dense. Hope you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one's agency partnerships. And the reason why um, we handle this uh, for agencies is there are a lot of the Fortune 500 and larger companies that are exclusive to big agencies. So, for instance, uh, the car company Ford. Um, they have an exclusive deal with WPP, which is one of the top five largest agencies in the world, a couple billion dollars in revenue. Uh, so if you want to work with Ford, you are out of luck, right? You can't just cold email Ford and they, they, they'll work with you because they have to work with WPP. However, WPP has a bunch of smaller agencies that if you cold email them, uh, we'll get a meeting with you. Uh, we'll talk to you and we'll send you overflow work. Some of that could be from Ford. Um, we've had one client work with this company called Team Detroit, which is WPP's arm in Detroit that has Ford as a client and actually goes out and finds local agencies. So agency partnerships is, is a pretty simple way to get in with enterprise clients that normally wouldn't work with you. And that one can be a lot more templated. Because I see on the site it says optional ad cold calling. For that, I'm sure it will help, but it's not as necessary to have that additional uh, touch point. Oh, yeah. For this one, we found that a lot of agencies are willing to, to meet um, at least for like 
uh, an initial meeting with other agencies, whether there's any business or not. So we're able to get 10, 12 meetings a month um, fairly simply for agency partnerships. The secret here is finding the right type of agencies to reach out to. Um, for agency partnerships, it's not really about customization. It's not really about offering the right services. It's about uh, sending an email that's about five sentences long. And uh, maybe we can link to a, a, a script I've, I've given in the past for yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. I'll um, make sure to get that linked up in, in the show notes. Cool, cool. So it's sending that short email um, and then making sure you're targeting the right agencies. So I always go by agency size. So for instance, um, well, agency size and then the hourly rate if you can find it. So for instance, if you're an agency that's like two people, you probably shouldn't be reaching out to like WPP, like, you know, 500,000 people or whatever, however, however big they are as a company, some gigantic company. You probably should be reaching out to companies about 10 times the size of you. So maybe 50 people, maybe even 25 people who have who have overflow for work for you. If you're a bigger agency like Dom and Tom was um, or is 50 to 80 people, um, then you can start going after those larger contracts and you're more likely to get them. And we did get them for Dom and Tom. Um, and we ended up with projects from Pfizer and from uh, BCG because of these partnerships. And I'm curious, for, for these types of partnerships, are you reaching out nationally, internationally? Are you looking specifically in the local market? Like, how do you define how wide of a net you're going to cast for your clients? So it depends on the individual clients. So we've got one client in New York that wanted to just move into Los Angeles and London. So we reached out to a bunch of agencies in LA and London to try to find ones that had clients there and then lined up a bunch of meetings uh, when they came into the office. We also have a, a few clients, three clients right now in South America that really want to move into the United States. And all three of them, um, I don't know why, but all three of them want to target New York City. So we just target New York City there. Um, but we can also go national. We can go international as well. Um, some countries have issues with cold emails. Uh, for instance, cold emailing is almost completely illegal in Australia and doesn't really work too much in China or Japan. Um, but yeah, like we've, we've done it everywhere. And so if I say I'm running a small digital agency somewhere based in the U.S., but a lot of our team is remote and we don't always meet physically with our clients. And are most of these partnerships, are they looking for an agency who is going to have more of a physical presence or is that not as important to them? It's not as important. The most important thing is, uh, will your agency be able to deliver the same quality of work as the main agency? And will they be able to do it for a cheaper price? Like that's the entire goal of, of a uh, partnership. So think about it from a large agency, right? So a large agency, let's say they get 150 leads a month, or pro they probably get more, but like let's say they're Dom and Tom. They get 150 leads a month um, and they can only service, maybe they can only service like 20 of those because they're real high quality projects, like 50 to $150,000 projects. And then the rest of them, vast majority of them are going to be small projects, like maybe under 10K, under 20K, or outside of the expertise of the agency. So a good partner will be someone that they can just send that project to um, and then take you know, a certain percentage. Dom and Tom, uh, we always went for a 50% margin. So if a project... If we sold something for 20K, we could do it for, we could sell it uh, to another agency. Another agency would do it for 10K. Um, but that margin could be whatever you want. And that's, that's the main benefit. So as long as your agency can fulfill the obligations of the bigger agency and do it for cheaper, uh, you're going to find a lot of success with partnerships. And I'm guessing also that those bigger agencies probably are more skilled on average at getting more value out of each contract. That they're, they're going to not have oh, the as prices much. Are yeah, the prices are much higher. Right. Um, so for instance, Dom and Tom, uh, some of the deals I was selling, because uh, I was a salesman out there before I was director of marketing, my biggest deal I sold was $500,000. And then um, one of the clients I, I got on uh, was initially, 
a $200,000 deal and now they're like $2 million in, in business. So yeah, the bigger agencies are really good at uh, driving those contract values up. And actually one of those companies, I can't mention uh, the exact name, but that company is providing a lot of fodder for them to send to other agency partners now. Mm. And it's funny because I'm sure a lot of agency owners uh, originally thought like, oh, I don't like 50% margin. That's crazy. And that I won't be able to work for anything. But when these bigger agencies are working on such larger contracts, it's probably not going to be a pay cut for you if you, if you position this correctly. Yeah. The mobile app, um, knowing what I know about the industry now, the mobile app we sold to this original company for about $150,000. Uh, most agencies in the U.S. could have been able to build it for about forty. So yeah, taking half the pay, half the pay, and getting seventy-five thousand <laughs> would be more than they normally get. No, so not a bad deal. And so the next one is actually one that I'm really curious about, and that's directories and sponsorships. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So directories are the easiest way to get on the first page of Google. Um, you don't have to invest a bunch of money in SEO. Basically, with Dom and Tom. Um, and the reason why I use Dom and Tom as the example a lot of the times is because that's where I learned these eight channels. Like that, that was where I figured out all of this stuff. Um, basically, when you search mobile app developers, New York City, or mobile app developers anywhere, a bunch of sites are going to pop up. Maybe half of them are going to be agencies, but the other half are going to be directories. So sites like 10 Best Design or Agency Spotter or Clutch.co. Um, and one of the things we do at X27 is help our clients rank on those directories. So for instance, we got Dom and Tom up to the top spot well, it was number three before they started paying. So number three, top spot on Clutch. Um, and that's what actually started driving about 75 to 100 leads a month. Um, and the reason why that is is because Clutch.co, if you search top agencies or best agencies, is it's number one on most of those keywords. So they get a lot of traffic. And the agency that's the number one on those directories is going to get a lot of traffic because of that. Interesting. Because, yeah, when I first read about this, I was originally thinking of like, the sort of old school spammy SEO tactic of like just get a ton of directory links and it's going to shoot your rankings up. But this is not necessarily trying to get in the directories because of the link value. It's, it's because the directories themselves already rank so well that just being listed and having a high listing there is going to just drive more business to you. Yeah. And I actually didn't think about maybe I should put that into the marketing a little bit. I didn't think about the old school SEO tactic there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about finding what directories people are actually looking for. Um, and actually, a lot of the times uh, we start with an initial review of the agencies and we look through all their Google Analytics to find where qualified leads are coming from and then optimizing for those spots. So, for instance, one of our agencies was getting a bunch of leads from uh, Behance, uh, but they weren't ranked too highly there. So they were getting their their team was focusing almost 100 percent on Dribble, but they were getting more leads from Behance than they were from Dribble. So we shifted that and the directory that we were optimizing for for them uh, is Behance instead. So the analytics um, inform a lot of what directories to go for. They make apps is, is big for one of our clients. Um, and then Clutch, like five or six of our clients are on the first page of Clutch right now. And Interesting. And how much of the, like, I guess, how much is there to the optimization? Is it something where it's, uh, I'm guessing it's not as complex as complete SEO, but like, it, is there a lot to it to depend on the rankings? Is it just a pay to play thing or how does that work? So some of it's pay to play, which is why I always recommend at least two to three thousand dollars a month in sponsorship spend on top of what we charge. Um, but a lot of it actually is just the time spent building a relationship with the directory uh, owner. So when you sign up for Clutch, they'll give you an account manager, Agency Spotter, Ten Best. They'll all give you an account manager. And what most agencies do is 
ignore these people. So they never talk to the account manager at all. Uh, what got Dom and Tom to rank so highly is getting on the call, getting on a call every single week with Josh, who was our account manager for DNT over there, and just asking him, literally asking him point blank what we could do to improve, and then making those improvements. It's funny because there are so many times where people, especially in, in the marketing world, where you're just immune to those reaching out emails. When you sign up for an account, you get an email from someone, you just delete it. You're like, I'll, I'll figure this out and that's it. But there's usually a real person on the other end of the line. And if you can just reach out to them and say, hey, I'm trying to work on this. Like, What do you think I can do to help, to help improve my performance? They're usually going to have some good insights because that's kind of their job. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the directories um, I've found, at least a lot of the smaller ones, aren't uh, based 100% on uh, like what, whatever the computer says. So it's not computerized ranking. There's a lot of power your account managers have. And especially if you say things like, hey, I really am looking at the sponsorship, super interested, but would love to see some organic results first. <laughs> You'll be surprised at how your rankings will move. As someone who isn't really experienced looking into these directories, what kind of volume in terms of leads can this drive? to an agency? So the main thing to expect uh, when it comes to directories is you're going to get a lot more leads, but you're going to get a lot more spam too. So you just got to be ready for that. Um, but I've seen anywhere from yeah, hundreds of leads extra a month to, you know, some, some directories only drive like one or two extra leads a month, but almost all directories have some traffic. Okay. And so for the sponsorships, is it purely just an ROI decision? You, you can see that this is throwing off enough organic traffic that if we put in some money to this, it'll, it'll pay dividends. That's usually how I look at it, yeah. Um, so you go, you go through the analytics, you figure out which of the directories is already sending you the most and highest quality traffic, and then you sponsor those. And what does that typically look like when you're sponsored? Is it just if someone clicks on a link for mobile app agencies, New York City, and I go to clutch.co, then would that like, are you at the top and like a highlighted thing, or is it, is it just that simple? Yeah, so for most of them, it just drives you, uh, it puts you up closer to the top. But if you optimize your profile, like if you, if you do a sponsorship and your profile is not optimized, it's not really going to do anything. But if you go through and you actually get as high as you possibly can organically and then you sponsor, uh, the ROI can be incredible. That's something that I, I'm going to go do a ton of research on my own because this is mind-blowing to me. It's something that I didn't even think about at all. So I, I'm excited <laughs> for that. I was just like, is this just like submitting to all these different directories? Like, no, this is pretty cool. So thanks yeah. for that tip. Sure. And if you if you check out my YouTube channel, there's a bunch of stuff on directories too. All right, I'll get some of those linked up in the show notes for people as well. And I'm sure I'm going to continue saying this a lot this episode, so definitely check out the show notes because Alex seems to be just dumping a ton of great resources on us. So if you don't <laughs> want to miss out on those, check out the show notes and I'll make sure to get all of those linked up. Alex, the next one is meetups, networking, and in-person events. Can you, can you expand on that? Sure. So I ran this meetup... Um, when I was a sales guy at Dom and Tom, before I started doing marketing, I ran this meetup in New York called uh, Drinks for Brand and Marketing Managers. And then there was also another tech meetup. And there were two meetups merged together. They had about 2,500 people in them. Uh, we did one event a month, and we got about 90 people at each of those events. And it was drinks at this bar. And basically, I would just walk around uh, talking to almost everybody at the bar, everyone I could, and trying to pitch Dom and Tom. And we would pretty regularly get about 50 to 100K uh, per month in leads, not in closed business, but in leads from this. Um, and yeah, a lot of cool people came to the event, people from Google, um, a guy from Dow Jones, a guy from Amex, like a, a bunch of, and a lot of funded startups came to the event too. So I always recommend starting a meetup. That's, that's one side of it. The other side's paid events. So the first side's meetup. Um, so I always recommend starting a meetup 
that's one benefit is the ROI. The other benefit is Meetup will, will basically grow your event for you. Uh, I didn't do any marketing at all for this uh, Drinks for Branded Marketing Managers. Is it as simple as going to meetup.com, creating an event, and people show up? Or do you need to do more than that? So in your local area, if you search you know, tech events in city, you can submit your event to all those places. But it, it really is as simple as just having a meetup and actually going to it. And the hardest thing uh, that I've found is the first few meetups, it's similar to what we were talking about before we started recording and what we'll probably get to about podcasts and content. The first few meetups, no one's going to show up. Um, and it's just the the hardest thing is going to be taking your time, which I'm sure is worth, you know, $300, $400 an hour, whatever you value it at super highly, and just sitting at this bar where nobody is, just on the off chance someone will show up. Uh, the How it worked with my meetup is the very first meetup, nobody showed up. Second meetup, nobody showed up. Maybe like eight people showed up. And then the third meetup, 60 people came. Wow. And what was the tipping point? It was meetup blasted it out to their list. So after like a month or two, they blasted it out to everyone in New York that was interested in tech. And the group jumped. It jumped a lot. It jumped from like 100 members to like 1,000 members overnight, basically overnight or over a week or two. Is it basically just because they're kind of making sure that you're serious about this and you're going to keep putting on events rather than just throwing one and leaving? I think that's what it is, yeah. And I had a recurring event so that psychologically I'd be forced to go. Mm-hmm. And um, the hardest, yeah, I was actually super surprised. Like even when it started showing ROI, I had the hardest time getting even the other salesmen at Dom and Tom to come to the event. Why was that? I guess they they thought that their uh, their work was more important. <laughs> but I I don't know. I became I was the top salesman at Dom and Tom. I was a new hire, and I became the top salesman in the first year. Um, I even beat the founders. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Uh, mostly because of the meetup. Once you got to that, that critical mass of people where there were enough showing up that it was having a positive ROI, how are you introducing yourself? Are you just sort of going around saying, hi, this is what I do? Or, or what is your process like for that? Uh, so, yeah, I would, I would wait for the group to kind of gather. And then I would go from group to group, say, hey, I'm Alex, and then ask them what they did. People would almost always ask what I did. And I, I would say, hey, I do mobile app developments for companies like Priceline or Scholastic and uh, Tyson. And then uh, I would just go back and ask them what they do. And almost always some kind of app project would come up with almost every single person. And then, yeah, it's just a matter of talking, getting their business card. Uh, the most important thing that I found with the actual meetups are um, is aggressively pitching yourself and trying to get an actual meeting on the calendar. So for, so for instance, I was talking to this one guy, um, I think his name was Kathik, uh, and he had a legal insurance company uh, in New Jersey. And we were talking about web design. And basically he was like talking to me and he had some questions about his website. I answered the questions. And then at the end of it, um, he was like, hey, this is a project we're thinking about. And I guess mo- most people don't do this. But what I did was like, was I said, okay, yeah, give me your card and I'll email you. And I actually emailed him the next day and we booked a meeting. Most people, they'll get your card. And I, I'm sure you've done this. Um, you get somebody's card and then you just never email them again, even if, even if there's potential business there. Because what happens is usually you're, you're, you're busy, things come up, and then a few days go by, if, like a week goes by, and you're like, oh, I don't even know if this person's going to remember me, and then you just, <laughs> you just never do it. Yeah, so what I would literally do is at the end of every meetup, I would have a big pocket full of business cards, and the next day I'd come into work, usually I'd be hungover because I was drinking at the right. meetup, and I'd just, slide, just <laughs> pop it down on the desk and email every single one of them. <laughs> and so I'm looking at the site, and you also mentioned about having two in-depth presentations per month. What what are those? 
Two and okay, so this is paid events. Yeah. So um, paid events are super important, and the reason why um, I say paid events versus speaking events is because um, when you ask people to pay, uh, even like five dollars. Uh, almost 100% of the people will show up versus if you do a free speaking event, like, you know, here are the five agile mistakes people get wrong. If you, if you do something like that, uh, 30 to 40% of people will show up. So I always try to charge at least $5. Um, and paid events, uh, the, what we've done in the past is we did this one at WeWork. Um, this was actually for Inspire Beats um, for my old company. We talked about the secrets that we learned sending 1 million cold emails. It was $20 a ticket. Uh, we sold about a hundred of them. WeWork gave us the space for free, so we made about two thousand dollars there. And then um, we had me in the front giving the presentation and a sales guy in the back uh, trying to book as many meetings as possible, doing the same thing I just talked about for the meetup, uh, but super aggressively. And we ended up selling it was like eight to ten retainers at a thousand dollars a month each. So those uh, events can be super helpful because people won't come unless they're interested. You have to do more work than you do with with the, the free meetup. So how are you promoting this? How are you getting people there willing to hand over some money? Okay, so how I promoted it in New York and in Austin, um, and actually in San Francisco, the way I drove people to all three of those events um, was Googling around for tech events in New York, and the directory strategy actually works the exact same way here. So in, in New York, there's Ali NYC that publishes a list of events, uh, Startup Grind has a list of events, Gary's Guide, and it's just submitting. It, it literally is as simple as just submitting your events to all of these uh, directories. And I found that, yeah, the first couple of weeks, nothing happens. And then as soon as the deadline, like on the day of or the day right before, we almost always sold out. It wasn't cold email outreach to anyone. Like it wasn't anything mm-hmm. like that. It was all directories. I mean, obviously, I'm familiar with Dribble with some of the bigger ones, but I just didn't realize how many people actually went to those to find events, to find agencies, to find all of that. Think about your own user experience, right? Like when you want to find an event, let's say you want yeah. to find a sales event in your city, what do you do? Right. And I mean, that's the thing is like I was looking even outside of the business realm, but like if I'm looking to do something like right now, I'm in Tampa. And so I'll be like, all right, things to do in Tampa this weekend. And it'll be some sort of not necessarily aggregated, but yeah, I guess it'll be a directory of different events in the area. And there has to be a way to get on these directories, and you found it, and you're right, it works. <laughs> and the way to get on those directories is almost always as simple as pressing submit event, and it's free to get on there. <laughs> wow. I'm guessing it's not just a hard pitch the entire time. What, what type of material are you presenting? So I'm a big fan of giving as much value as humanly possible. So when I did the event for Inspire Beats, the one that ended up selling a bunch. Um, it was what we learned sending a million cold emails. And I literally told them everything we learned. So what subject lines to use, how to send the emails, how to find the leads, like how to do everything yourself. And what I found is at the end, um, I could tell like the same the same way I, I sell for Inspire, for Experiment 27. It's the same way I sold with Inspire Beats. I literally tell everyone exactly what I'm doing. And I bank on the fact that most of them aren't going to do it. When you share so much, when you go so deep, they're going to understand that, oh, this guy actually really knows his stuff. All these things make sense. I have no time to do this myself. Let me talk to him about having him elevated with this. Yeah, exactly. And that works so much better than like a hard sales pitch. Um, it's the same with, uh, with agencies. One of our best recruiting tools at Domitom was this event we did at Stack Overflow. And it was all about how to use Sketch uh, for your design projects. And we went really in depth. We actually ended up getting a feature on Sketch's blog because of it. So that was really useful for recruiting. Um, anything related to smart tech will pull uh, CTOs. One of the first events at Dom and Tom that they did when they were starting their agency was for CTOs right around when mobile apps came out. 
and it was a two-day seminar on um, come to this seminar and you'll have an app built by the end of it. So any any sort of promises like that that you can figure out are good. I know uh, Alexa's big, voice commands are big, um, Internet of Things is big, drones are big. So anything like that where a Fortune 500 or Fortune or a, a Fortune 5000 client can come and it's something that they're thinking of already and it's only $20 to get in, that's the type of thing that they'll go to. And I think this is really related to the next channel and, and that's podcasts because when you're going on these podcasts, you're giving very similar, like, I mean, this is a perfect case study of it, is you're going as deep as possible into what it is that you do. And so how do you help clients get this similar results using podcasts? Sure. Um, so the easiest way to get on podcast is cold email also. Um, and uh, right now, I've got a, a, a guy on our team, Ronaldo, who's he's amazing. He actually hosts his own podcast called Explain Like I'm 20 that has like 10,000 listeners a month, um, which is decent size. Um, but basically what we do is make a list of podcasts in a niche. Usually we go off new and noteworthy in the business section or we go off lists of the top podcasts. Um, either me or Ronaldo or whoever's reaching out will listen to you know either an episode or part of an episode and then come up with five or six custom bullet points based on that. Uh, pitch the host on having us on the episode and then have the custom bullet points. And that's almost always enough to get on. Uh, those emails have between a 30 and a 50% response rate uh, at scale. So I've been on, we were talking about this before the interview. I've been on over a hundred yeah. podcasts. On the yeah, last I was saying year. you've, you've been on more podcasts than, than I've hosted. So I, was like, <laughs> All right, I should be getting some tips from Alex on these. But one of the other things you mentioned was that, a lot of times, if someone goes on a podcast, the first few times, they don't really get results. Why is that? So it's the same with all content. So like uh, even when I was starting my YouTube channel, for the first like two or three months, I didn't see any feedback or traction. Um, you've probably seen that or your clients have seen that with their content on their blog. Like you're just posting and it seems like you're, you're publishing into a void. Even if you're promoting, like you're not getting any traction. I think part of it is it takes a while to find like that unique thing that makes – makes the content work for you. Um, it takes a while for your uh, like shields to come down. A lot of people have the, uh, a lot of people will just talk in like hyperbole or they'll talk and they'll tell uh, not stories, but they'll tell things that, like they read in books versus things that actually happened to them. Um, like things like that. Like it takes a lot, a little while to actually get that original edge that gets people to buy. And then the third thing is it takes some time to get on the top podcast. So like it took me maybe six months to get on entrepreneur on fire um, luckily someone was able to pull some strings and I got on rocket ship, rocket pretty quick. Um, I was on the top with Nathan, with Nathan Lodka. That was an intro. Like these intros take some time to build up. You can get on the smaller podcasts almost always with a good cold email and even some of the bigger podcasts, but the real leads come from like the five or six podcasts at the top of your niche. And it takes a while to get onto those. When you're working with clients, is that, is that the long-term approach you're taking is you're saying like, all right, we'll, we'll figure out our message. We'll, we'll build a little base, some experience for you with a smaller podcast. But the goal is to get on, on these, these top ones, sort of the 80, 20 approach that are going to drive the vast majority of qualified leads. Yeah. Cause the goals are why, right? Like I don't want to have the founder. I don't want our uh, KPI to be, you know, 10 podcasts a month. Because there's no there's no money tied to that, right? Like I want our, our ROI to be, you know, you're at three million in sales and we took you to six million. So if I'm putting on podcasts that aren't generating leads, like that's got nothing. Like there's no benefit for either of us there. So yeah, you start on the smaller podcasts, you build up the positioning, we figure out what exactly is going to work with these larger podcasts. 
Um, and then, and then, yeah, the goal is to get you on the bigger podcast in your niche. How long do you usually find that that will take for, for a client to, to get to that point where they're really seeing results with podcasting? It's, it's only about three months. It's not really that long, but it also depends on how much time the founder wants to commit. Like I found that most founders, the reason why we have to do marketing for them and they haven't done it themselves is because they don't have time. Um, so that's, that goes back to what we were talking about, like for podcasting, especially like this show, this is like 45 minutes of my time. If I didn't value podcasting as a, uh, as a channel, I would be doing something else with this time. Right. And, and that's something that a lot of founders have to have to fight with initially, even for the first few months. Yeah. And the thing is, the way I often look at it is that if you're spending any time guest blogging, other things like that, podcasting is usually a faster way to to do that. So it still is a commitment and 45 minutes of time from a busy person is still a big ask. But it's going to be less time and more personal than a lot of other content approaches. Yeah, I agree. The The only other downside with podcasting is it almost always has to be the founder. Otherwise, you're gonna, your conversion rate is going to go down tremendously if you just have a marketing person on there, unless they're super well-trained. Because I also do a startup podcast, and it'll be like, if I'm talking with a major company, or you'll even see some companies where like, the CMO or head of growth or whatever startup position they, they've come up with has kind of their own following. In those instances, I, I've seen some results, but I'm guessing for, for most agencies, you're not going to be able to have like your an account manager or, or an account executive or whoever go on the podcast. It does need to be the founder doing that. <laughs> and it, I don't know if, if that has to do with training at the company, but yeah, most, most employees just don't know how to talk about their company in the right way, unless you have somebody specifically for that role. Um, like at, at Inspire Beats, I was kind of that. I wasn't the founder, but I was the chief marketing sumo. So literally my job was to talk on behalf of the company. Um, so I, I became pretty good at actually like answering questions and delivering value rather than just like speaking uh, as a salesman. Right. I, I would hope so. I mean, if that was if that was the role they were hiring for, it seems like they did a good job of finding you for that then. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually a good case of a founder that didn't want to go into the limelight himself. Like he didn't want to commit the time to doing all this stuff. So yeah, he went out and he found somebody that would be good at it. Um, with me, yeah, Ronaldo, he's hosted a podcast. So I know worst case scenario, I could have him go on and talk about X27. Personally, I like it. I like doing the YouTube stuff also. But, you know, I could have him doing interviews at the exact same time as, as me. And it's I, it's all about, um, yeah, finding the right people that'll, that'll be able to do it if you want to hire internally for someone like that. I'm going to stop Alex right there for a quick word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easier for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Hubstaff for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff.com. All right, let's get back to Alex. 
This, I, I think, is, is a good transition in, into the next channel, which is paid user acquisition. Because where with podcasting, where you try to find podcasts with audiences that have a strong overlap with your target clients, but you're not super targeted. You, you just can't be. With paid user acquisition, with PPC, with retargeting, with all that, it's much more laser targeted, but... It's still, I know a ton of agencies struggle to, to, to make this work. So how are you guys making paid ads work? So the easiest way to get paid ads to work um, is, uh, so retargeting is the, the quickest way. So if you get over 3,000 hits a month to your site and you're not running retargeting, you're basically throwing leads away. Uh, industry average conversion rate for an agency website is 3%. So that means 97% of the people that are coming to your site um, are just disappearing and never coming back. Um, I found retargeting, you can get leads for about 50 to $60 each, um, sometimes even less, depending on how how uh, well the ads are, are written. Uh, the other side, cold traffic, pay-per-click, um, I found this works in two ways. One, you can get pretty cheap clicks to retarget um, by running uh, ads for content, um, which is more of like the HubSpot technique, which is, is fine. Um, it's not as direct. The direct way to do it, uh, you can actually just advertise your agency. Um, the cost per click on that is going to be a lot higher. Uh, we found actually cost per lead when doing this is about six to $700 a lead, which most of our agencies are fine with because the, comp- the projects are over $10,000. So that's the thing is I think a lot of people will get, especially small but growing digital agency owners, will get sticker shock when they do see the cost per click, when they do see even just the cost per lead. But if, if your projects are high enough value, if your margins are, are good enough, then it still can be a very profitable channel. Oh, it can be hugely profitable. And yeah, even uh, myself as, as a business owner at Experiment 27, I don't think we're in a good enough spot to be doing pay-per-click for ourselves yet. Maybe some, maybe some light uh, pay-per-click on content, but not really for us. Like, uh, I think you need to have at least 10 to 20K a month to invest in ads before really going into it. It's not so much that you don't believe your processes and your funnel and all that is good. It's that you think to make it a success, you need to be able to commit that sort of money to really get it to work. Yeah, is that, okay. it's, it's, we literally can't afford it right now. Like we need, we would need 10,000. And right now where we are as a company, it makes more sense to hire like a sales guy to do more cold emailing or another marketing person or somebody like Ronaldo. Like it makes more sense to do that because the, the organic channels are working so well before we spin up TPC for ourselves. Okay. No, I think that I think that's a brutally honest, but but a good a good point because when you have cost per clicks so high, when you when the ultimate cost per lead is so high, especially with PPC, with how competitive it is, like you're not going to fire up your first campaign and just start printing money. It takes a lot of time to get it finely tuned and to be have a positive ROI. So if you're not willing to invest, I, I think that's good advice to to push it down the road a bit. Yeah, and I mean even when you say a lot of time, like almost. Well, actually, every single one of these channels could be spun up within 90 days, like could be spun up and delivering ROI. But yeah, for, pay- for PPC specifically, you need to be throwing $10,000 into the trash can for 30, 60 days before the ads start delivering value. Right. It's not For that, it's not even so much about the time. It, it's really just about the resources, the cash that it takes to get there. Yeah, exactly. And when there are lower hanging fruit, when there's more organic approaches, I definitely see what you're saying is focus on those first before going after that. Yeah. Retargeting can be cheap, though. That's why I always recommend retargeting is the one to start with. Okay. For content in social media, this is something I've had some people come on the podcast to talk about social media, to talk about content. But it's it's something that I think a lot of agencies struggle with 
especially on the social media side, like they can they can write decent blogs, they can get some traffic there, maybe get some leads if they're really doing it right and have a good funnel in place. But for the social media, how how are you using that to to help drive leads? So social media I found isn't 100% effective for actually driving leads. It's better for uh, promoting content and then also as a social signal that you guys are around. So when so one of the first things people do when let's let's say they want to look up um, like Hubstaff, Hub uh, they'll search Hubstaff and then they'll look on like Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and they'll see like how many likes you have or if you've tweeted recently. What I almost always look at is Twitter to see if they've tweeted recently to see if they're like still alive or not. Um, so that's the main thing with social media. It's It's just to kind of show that you're alive. Um, for Instagram, uh, I've actually had, I've gotten leads off Instagram. Um, so Instagram is one uh, where you can basically uh, automate as well. Uh, if, if you guys want a free tool, I don't, I actually don't think it's free. I think it's like $10 a month. Uh, Instagress is what I've been using for Instagram. Um, I went from 100 followers, now I'm up to, I think, over 600 in two weeks <laughs> using this Instagress bot. Um, but yeah, otherwise, if they're already doing strong content, then there's nothing really you can you can gain from this content slash social one. But if you're not doing strong content, the biggest thing that I found works is delivering intense value and actually telling stories. Um, you don't want to be another one of these. And this is another reason why I hate HubSpot so much. You don't want to be another one of these companies that's just saying the same bullet points in your blog post as everyone else. You want to actually have a story to back up every bullet point. Even if it's like the same BS bullet points as everyone else, you want those stories to be uh, more specific to your actual company and your actual clients. Right. I mean, I mean, there's so many just seven tips on how to do X, Y, and Z. And nothing new is said. You're not relating any of your personal experiences. You're not doing anything unique that while you're checking the box of content, you're not actually, you're not getting the results because it, no one cares about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. One of our most, uh, actually our most successful piece of content at Experiment 27 was this video uh, that I posted onto, actually Ronaldo posted this onto Reddit. Um, and it was uh, how we got our first uh, 400K in ARR uh, in annual recurring revenue with cold email. And literally in this video, I broke down how I found the leads. I walked through the exact process. I walked through the Excel doc that we used to send out the emails. I, I showed the actual email script. I showed how to actually send the emails, how to do the follow-ups. Like literally everything was broken down step by step. And that's in the all-time greatest posts on Slash R Startups now. Wow. Wow. So that's and the type of content that resonates. Exactly. And I mean, we, we've seen the same thing at Hubstaff is where when we write posts from our experiences, when we have screenshots of like, like I have a post coming out soon, I'm like launching a podcast, getting guests. I'll talk about the exact emails I send, how I do my research, all those things like those posts do well because they know we're coming from a, a position of expertise. They know where we're sharing our unique take on it and, and we see results from that. Yeah, I always like to think like whenever I'm writing a content, a piece of content, I always want to be like uh, hesitant um, and thinking, hey, maybe I should be charging for this. Like, isn't this stuff that should be going in a paid course? And if I'm not thinking that, uh, I'm not delivering enough value in the actual content. That's exactly right. And it's something that's so simple. But that's what people need to be thinking of when they're writing content is that if this is something that no one would ever consider paying for, you shouldn't be publishing. It's not doing you any good. Yeah. And I, I've bought some pretty high end courses from like Ramit Sethi and I try to uh, craft my content around the stuff that he publishes, not on his blog, but actually in his courses. So like in his courses, he'll go and he'll do like a full email script and he'll do a whole breakdown of a strategy, like all this stuff that, yeah, people pay like two, three thousand dollars for. And I'm delivering that stuff for free to, to my uh, viewers. 
Mm-hmm. And then this ties in perfectly to, to the last channel, and that's that's content promotion because it's not as simple as just writing great content and then everyone's going to come flocking to it. So do you want to talk about this one? Sure. So content promotion, um, it's very similar to directories as well. Uh, high level, it's basically finding out where your people are, where your target market is, and then getting your content there, whether that's blogs or whether that's sites like Reddit, um, Growth Hacker, that sort of thing. Um, that's that's at the very high level what it is. For us, the way that we do content promotion is we go out and at first it starts with that analytic review that I talked about before. Uh, we'll dig into all the agency's analytics and figure out what sites have sent leads to them in the past. For Dom and Tom, one of the first things we found was Quora uh, was an underutilized channel because it was sending like two leads a month. Um, so we went in and we rewrote a bunch of Quora questions. We wrote a bunch of answers for Quora and we got that up from uh, two a month to about 40 a month from Quora. Uh, before Cora kind of died as a channel. So that's that's one way to do it. Um, for Reddit, we've done that a lot for Experiment 27. Going in, being active on Reddit, uh, looking at the type of subreddits where your people would hang out. For us, I thought it would be like slash our business or slash our entrepreneurship. Almost 100% of the time for us, it's been slash our startups. For agencies, if you're trying to recruit, there's a bunch of UX, UI design subreddits. And a lot of people live on those. And it's actually fairly easy to rank um, if you have good content. Uh, I don't know how much I should say about this, but you can pay to to get to the top of Reddit as well. How so? Uh, you hire somebody on Fiverr, or you okay, or you pay somebody to to upvote the content for you. Hmm. Reddit is something where the people are there, and and but it's just I know it's so hard to for outsiders who aren't familiar with it to to crack the codes, so to say. And I think it, a lot of it comes back to what you said: is find the subreddits that actually are relevant to you and then create really good content for them. Cause if, if you do that, like you could pay someone to promote content and it's not going to go anywhere or you're just going to get flamed really, really hard. So if you actually do the research and do the work to create good content, find the right audience for it, you can actually get results there. Oh yeah. For all of this, your content needs to be good or it's going to fall flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the way that I try to approach all these channels is I try to think like, or what would the biggest companies do or what are the biggest companies doing? And for Reddit, it's paying to get like 100 upvotes so that the rest of it, you know, gets going uh, organically. Or uh, for YouTube, it's paying to get on the trending tab. I haven't messed too much with that yet. That Yeah, think about what the biggest companies are doing and then think about how you can uh, reverse engineer it. That's promotion. For PR, um, it's basically guest blogging using a similar email to the one you use to get on podcasts, but customizing the post basically for each uh, blog. It's the same stuff everyone talks about in all these other posts. Like literally every every uh, guest that comes on any of these podcasts and talks, they're always right. Almost or almost all the time, they're they're right. It's it's implementing uh, where people fail. And it seems like that's why people are coming to you is because while you did go super deep on each of these, and I'm sure some everyone learned something from each about how to approach these, these channels. At the end of the day, they knew these were things that roughly they, they should be doing this a, a lot of these things, but they're not. And so that's why you guys have succeeded. And it's because you understand what they're supposed to be doing, but you can actually say, Hey, give us an hour a month of your time. We'll handle it for you. And it seems like that's a pitch that seems to resonate with a lot of agency owners. Yeah, it's resonating really well. <laughs> marketing is super boring, especially the marketing that works uh, for a lot of people because it's a lot of doing the same tasks over and over again. Mm-hmm. When clients come to you, they're not doing all of these. Like You're not saying do every single one of these because that would be an insane amount of work. I'm sure it would be super expensive and that would be 
so hard for anyone to manage that in-house. So like when someone comes to you, how are you working with them to decide what channels work for their agency? So we, we work backwards based on their goals. So there's one agency I'm working with out in Boston who wants to go from $3 million a, a year to $6 million a year. So we're, we're figuring out, you know, what do we have to do? What services do we have to do based on what this agency's done well in the past to actually hit that goal? And actually some agencies do engage with us for all of our services, um, but they're almost always like the gigantic agencies who have the, the cash to burn on it. And do you have a sort of hierarchy of how you, you look at these things? Because it sounds like for the social media management, it sounds like that's sort of a, a something that most agencies should have something in place just to begin with, just to make sure that people know that, like you said, they're still alive. But from there, how are you looking at some of the other channels? Like, all right, how are you evaluating which is the low-hanging fruit, which is like kind of the reach channels, things like that? So it's actually in a good order for uh – how soon they'll generate ROI. So enterprise outreach, most of the time you'll get meetings within the first couple of weeks. Agency partnerships, the same way. Directories, you'll start getting leads within 30 days. Meetups and events is about 60 days. Podcasts is about 90. Uh, PPC retargeting is about 90. Content's like 90 to 120. And then promotion works with content, so about 90 to 120. So that's the way I kind of stack it out. Um, some agencies, they really just want to get that quick win. So we'll only do like enterprise outreach and directories. Uh, some agencies want to do the quick win and invest in the longer term stuff. And that's when we'll start using some of this other stuff. And then some agencies want to do everything or have a big budget to spend on like pay-per-click or real content promotion and, and PR strategy. So we'll do that. And so what does this look like for X27 right now? What channels are you focused on? Right now, um, our biggest lead generator is uh, cold email. So enterprise outreach is the one we use the most. Um, we have a few partners going. Um, the other thing that we're really using is podcasts and then our content and our promo PR are really strong. So where we could get better, um, if I wasn't a full nomad, I'd do more meetups and events, but our whole team's nomadic. Uh, directories could also be a good one, although I haven't found any related to uh, just marketing companies for agencies. So it might actually be sponsorships on podcasts or sponsorships on directories that agencies go to. That's going to be the winner there. Um, and then, yeah, PPC, which I, I'm saving up for right now. I need about 30K in the bank. Okay. Before you you know you're you're comfortable just giving it a go and going all in with that. Yeah, exactly. Where are you right now? I'm in Wichita right now, Wichita, Kansas. Are you from there or just just visiting? No, I'm just I've been here for like two months. Um, before this, I was in Austin, and before that, I was actually actually near you. I was in uh, Melbourne, outside of Orlando. Oh, nice, nice. And what does the year look like for you in terms of travel? So I'm probably getting out of Wichita at the end of this month. Um, I don't know. I want to hit. It. Paris. And I, uh, it was so funny because one of your other guests invested in a brewery. I also invested in a brewery, <laughs> but it's in Vegas. So I'm going to go out to Vegas probably in March. Do you set up like a base for a few months at a time? Yeah, I try to do, I used to do one month at a time and it just, it leads to burnout. So now I do about three months at a time. Mm-hmm. So I just find an apartment that does a short term lease. Honestly, in this whole talk that I've been like, wow, I wish I had four hours to talk with Alex about this because I had a bunch of questions. And then as we dove into each of the channels, I'm like, this is this is really good stuff. I want to go deep with this. And then I was kind of getting nervous. I'm like, Oh, I need to like put together show notes for so much stuff now. But, but to wrap things up, Alex, and and as a way to say, thank you slash, I'm kind of angry at you for making me do so much work on the show notes part of it. (laughs) What, what I'll do is I I like to ask like, I guess a few rapid fire questions and they'll be quick, but your responses don't need to be. So the first one is right now, what are you spending too much time on? 
I'm spending too much time uh, actually worrying. <laughs> I, I wish I was spending less time, but we just hired uh, 10 people. So ba- or nine people. So now we're at 11 people as an agency. So I'm worrying now because I'm dealing with the fact that I'm not doing a lot of the work now anymore. And I'm like trying to trying to uh, I'm like waiting for deals to close and stuff. And it's it's so hard not to just like hop on the calls and stuff. So that's that's my main thing that I'm focusing on right now that I don't need to be doing. <laughs> what should you be spending more time doing? Uh, what should I be spending more time doing? I think just creating content like right now I should take advantage of the fact that that I'm not like needing to work all the time that my team is doing most of the work to like read more books and listen to more podcasts, which I've been trying to do more of. And then, yeah, just like strategy, strategy, but there's only so much of that you can do. I'm in probably the same situation as that other uh, guest that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is, is strategy learning all of that is great. And you need to make sure you're doing enough of that. But at a certain point, it can almost just get to like daydreaming where you're just planning things out on paper and not really making progress towards them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we're in a really interesting situation because we're hitting our numbers. Um, we've got a team that is almost all the way onboarded. Like, I'm very confident in the entire team that, that they're going to perform. And basically, if the whole team performs, me and my co-founder are going to be doing, like, zero work. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the other guest that Alex is talking about now is Casey Cobb. And, and Casey runs multiple businesses and has a very active family life, has a very active hobby. It's like all of this. And he spends maybe about 40 hours a week doing all of it. And it's funny because he is, it's very difficult. When you build a properly structured business, you're going to run into exactly what you're doing right now. We're like, wait, there's nothing I need to do right now. Like things are just working. And it's very easy to fall in the trap of finding things to do so you can feel good about like, oh, I'm staying busy. Like I'm doing this, but if you can just accept that, like the goal is to build a business that can run without you, then you have a lot of different options going forward. Yeah. And what I focused on last month was hiring. So I found the majority of these 11 people just last month because I had so much downtime because I hired a sales team and I was focusing so much on just cold emailing before that. So I've recruited like some pretty good people. I was like poaching from top agencies and stuff like that. But yeah, like I, I literally can't keep hiring. Like if I keep hiring, the company's probably just going to implode. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm, I'm curious. This segue is good into the last question I have for you. Is what are your long term plans for X27? Is it, is it something you want to just scale super big, remove yourself, and just travel the world, or, or what does that vision look like for you? Um. So I mean, short term, I, I short term meaning like the next two to three years. Uh, I want to change the way that agencies market. I don't think there's enough being put on it from agency founders, um, like enough value being put on it. If I could make it so that whenever McDonald's is looking for a client, that 10 out of 10 of those are experiment 27 clients, that would be pretty awesome. Um, and then in terms of like company growth, yeah, I'd like to see us keep growing um, and just get, yeah, super big. And is the ultimate goal to, to really, like you were saying, to remove yourself fully from the business or, and just focus on big picture things? Yeah, and I I think we're closer to that than I thought was possible uh, this soon into running the business. Was there anything that you think helps you get there? Was there like a a book you read that really got you on the right path? I know there's not like one magic secret, but what do you attribute that quick success, not quick success, but what do you attribute getting there faster than you anticipated? Uh, Learning from other people's mistakes. So Tom at Dom and Tom, um, one of his biggest things was he's been trying to sell the company for like three years. And because nothing was really productized and there wasn't really a, 
a recurring revenue strategy, um, that's been very hard for him. So a lot of agencies have done that better. My agency is almost built 100% on recurring revenue because of that. Uh, my other founder, uh, the other person I worked for, Wilson at Inspirebeats, his biggest issue and the reason his business failed was because he was the choke point uh, for everyone. So, you know, he ended up in the hospital for a month or two. And because of that, the entire business like ground to a halt. So those are the two things I've been focusing on not doing, right? Like getting MRR as high as possible and then making sure that everyone's talking to each other and not to me. Um, and then also Four Disciplines of Execution is a really good uh, book on management. So Alex, I want to thank you for that. Before we say goodbye, though, where can listeners go to, to learn more about X27, to hear more from you, and just to, to see what you're up to? So there's a bunch of free content on b2bsalestraining.org that goes to my YouTube channel. And then our company site is experiment27.com, which goes through all of our services and how to work together. Awesome. And I'm going to make sure to get all of that linked up in the show notes. Alex, I just want to say thanks again so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun chatting. Andy, it's been awesome. If you didn't know where to look to get started with a business development plan, Alex gave you eight great options. Enterprise outreach, agency partnerships, directories, meetups, podcasts, PPC, content marketing, and PR. I'm not going to begin to try to summarize these eight strategies that Alex laid out today because it wouldn't do it justice and the podcast is already long enough, isn't it? If you're just getting started on trying to grow beyond referrals, don't try to tackle all of these at once. Identify the low-hanging fruit, learn from Alex's mistakes, and get started with one or two of these strategies. The important thing to remember, though, is that once you do get started, you need to make this a sustained effort, not only so that you give yourself time to figure out how to make the strategy work for your business, but so you can keep your pipeline full in good times and bad and finally escape the feast or famine cycle. If you already are implementing a few of these strategies, that's awesome. Take some of the tips that Alex gave on how to optimize them and then figure out what you want to add into the mix next. The more strategies you use to grow your agency, the more robust it will be. And if you were around for the recession, you know just how important that is. That's all I have for you guys this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you could take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors, maybe even looking for a few extra projects and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. All right. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.